I'm a fun guy. Uh, obviously, I love the game of basketball. Um, I mean, it's just more question you have to ask me um, in order for me to tell you about myself. I just can't give you a whole spiel. <laughs> I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> Welcome back, ladies and gents. It's your main man, the host of this podcast, Mr. Monson Flake. If you don't know that by now, that's just a darn shame. Um, today, Hayden is out of town. He is in Canada once again, visiting the family. His sister got married just... Well, she either is getting married this weekend, or she just barely got married, and he's still up there. Either or, doesn't matter. Congrats to them. Happy for them. Glad Hayden gets to go back to Canada visit and all that stuff that'll be really good he'll be back next week though so we're excited for that however today we do have a really good episode prepared we are with jason clausen um a family friend and local friend of myself um he has a really unique experience and story and background and so we're going to dive a lot into that today um just right before we introduce him though today is our number is the 20th episode of the podcast Woo! Little clap, little golf clap. Thank you, thank you. That is really exciting. Number 20, that's really cool. Um, that means we have been going officially, I mean, technically over a year. There was a long pod, there was a long pause, which sucks. But as far as just 20 straight episodes, that's what, a couple months of work. So that's really exciting. And it's just going to pick up from there. Within the 20th, within the 20 episodes, some of the things that we've accomplished. Um, are we've made it to the top 10% of podcast listens to, which is really exciting, and hopefully we're able to make it to the top 5%, hopefully by the end of the year. It's a struggle, <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. And so hopefully we make it to the top 5%, that's the goal, um, by the end of the year. But for now, we are in the top 10% of podcast listens to, and we do have a proper listen score, and you can find that on Listen Notes. I didn't know what to base it off of because some people's listen scores are like 99 out of 100, and that's like the Joe Rogans and the Daily Wire, those kind of people. Um, and then mine is like a 30, and so I was like, okay, I don't know if a 30 just sucks or if it's decent. And so I looked up some stuff, and it's all accumulative to how big your audience is. And so 30, for how large our audience is, is actually really good. So that's cool. Very, very good. Awesome accomplishment. Didn't know it was a thing, but it became a thing. And then, of course, I shouted out a couple weeks ago, but we became uh, higher ranking in Canada, which is really cool. Under self-motivation, we're like 200-something in self-motivation in Canada, which is really cool. Um, we did our first giveaway last week, and we have three winners from that, which I will announce on Instagram. But congrats to them. Really excited to get them some free merchandise, which is really cool. We've made merchandise. We've co-hosted with other podcasts. And we're currently fixing up the website. So, within 20 episodes, that's a lot of work. And it's really good, and it's a lot of hard work. And me and Hayden have put in a lot of work to be able to make all that accomplished. And then, of course, the most important part of all of those episodes is that we've had multiple individuals, like Jason today, who have been able to come on and share their awesome stories and hopefully inspire um, everybody else that listens. They inspire us, and it's really exciting. And I'm excited for today because it just adds on to... Everything that we're doing. Life must go on. That's the way to live. And so, Jason, I will have you introduce yourself, and we'll just jump right into it from there. Um, welcome. 
Thank you. It's an honor to be here at the 20th uh, podcast. So, he didn't even know he was I, getting into that. I didn't know that. So it's an honor to be here. So <laughs> uh, quick back a story about me. My name is Jason. I'm from Utah, local. Uh, two boys. Um, and I'm a th- uh, trained clinical therapist. Mm-hmm. So that's my background. And that's what I've been doing for about 15 years of helping people, whether it be addiction, whether it be trauma, whether it be grieving, adolescence, uh, I mean, you name it, I've pretty much done it to help people. So uh, I believe it's my, um, God has given me a gift and I've accepted my role. And uh, now my my opportunity to help many people change their lives so that they can be happier again. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jason. Um, I I didn't even know that. I didn't know that you were a therapist. That's cool. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, well, that's actually really cool because it's like it just adds so much to the plethora of things I have to talk to you. Oh, about. perfect. Um, so just prep up. Just prep up. <laughs> um, if you can read me, do like a little reading, you know, see what my emotions are, that'd be great too. I'm depressed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, okay, cool. Very, very, very cool. So, Jason. You have a really unique experience with, uh, obviously, a situation that happened with your wife. Uh-huh. She was diagnosed with cancer. Yes. Um, how long ago was this? So the the initial diagnosis that came to us happened uh, four years ago in October. Yes. Okay. Four years ago, mm-hmm. October. Yep. And remind me what kind of cancer, what form of cancer So was. it was stage four colon cancer. Yeah. And uh, we had no warning signs, and there's no family history of of cancer so it was a shock and a surprise totally Mm -hmm. complete shock Mm -hmm. and to jump from i assume i don't know how it exactly works i assume it goes from stage one first to Uh two three and four and there was no signs anything until stage four yeah the stages move up depending on how many organs it's in yeah so if it's in multiple organs uh, with a brain colon stomach then it 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 amps its way up so when you hear stage one that's the one you want. <laughs> you don't want stage four because that has a lot of challenges and that your cancer has progressed uh, far enough to be in multiple places. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah. Prior to that happening, and we'll, I'll, I'll ask you to continue on that, that yeah. story. Prior to that happening in therapy, had you ever dealt with people who had those who had family members oh, with cancer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and really? I felt like I was pretty good at helping people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was trained, and I've worked with a lot of people that have lost people that gone through traumatic events. So I felt like I could coach a lot of people, yeah. helping them through their grief. Yeah. And uh, it was something I looked forward to doing. But when you go through it your own, <laughs> I, f- I quickly found out that it's hard to help yourself go through that. So I couldn't take my skills and or look in the mirror and just say, Jason, do this. It it was it hit me in many different ways that I I didn't expect and it, I struggled through it because I going through it for the first time is so difficult and hard and mm. and uh, with people that have never gone through it, um, people don't know how to help you too. So yeah. this dichotomy of I didn't know what to do. I taught people, and then I had family members that ha- didn't have any experience going through this. So together, it just was a, a hard, hard thing to go through and just kind of sit in your own yuck and try to just 
just try to get through and it's really really hard yeah mm-hmm. well it's got to be really humbling because it's you've now taught people and helped people go through that exact experience and then it's you going through and you're like i have no idea how to handle this yeah and so it's like all these years of technical preparation really haven't prepared me for something because it's just so beyond comprehension yep yep and and when it comes so fast Hmm. as as it did um because in a matter of a month of my wife coming to me and say i got a lump in my stomach Hmm. and then a month later from going from doctors and scans and different things of being at the hospital and doing exploratory surgery um that's that's from the initial feeling the lump to the doctor walking into the recovery room and saying i'm sorry jason your wife has stage four colon cancer so not a lot of prep work to mentally get ready Hmm. and then anybody that's gone through a traumatic event or hard moment and eventually you will. (laughs) It's not about if you will. Mm. Uh, there's no, there's no way to totally prepare you for that moment. And, um, delivering that news. Um, I mean, just think of one of your loved ones, your dad, your mom, your wife, and and all of a sudden they just come to you and says, Hey, you have cancer at stage four. Mm. Um, and it just, it just completely floored me. And then I just, my mind couldn't stop racing. I was just like, what do I do? Like I have two boys. I'm trying to help people in their hardest issues while I'm going through my hardest issues. How are we going to pay for it? How long does she live? What kind of treatment? And just like, Oh my gosh, like so overwhelming. And again, there's no way to prepare for it other than, um, I think building your connections with people and that comes from work and being a good person and giving back to the community mm. so that you have people there that when you go through a hard time, people can be there for you. Um, not necessarily they're ready for you, but as the preparation, I think, starts long before you have those events. And that's just from living a Christ-like life and doing good things in the community that will rally um, when you go through a hard thing. Totally. Have you seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always think of in those situations. Yep. You never lost if you still have friends. Yeah. Um, that's something we talk about a lot is the preparation because they will come, like you're saying, those uh-huh. traumatic experiences. Yeah. It's not a matter of, you know, if, it's just when. And, you know, prior to if you're living your best life, like you're saying, if you're living a Christ-like life and doing the things necessary to make friends and build relationships that's just one step that's not going to take you you know through the challenge but it's at least going to benefit you Mm -hmm. during the challenge Mm -hmm. um and so i guess backtracking just to the situation if you could kind of walk us through story mode of when when your wife got the news Uh when it all happened Uh and then just all of the things preceding that so go back to um i mean a little bit previous to that is Mm -hmm. Me and my wife and family, they were, we were being blessed and we were living probably a good, good life of we thought this is what life should be like. Mm. So my wife just had lost 100 pounds of weight. 
Wow. The light was coming back on. I was a director at a clinical program, at a recovery program. Kids are thriving in school and sports, and we're building this home. So it's it just, at times, it seems unfair that you're doing good in the community, and you're still um, being active and involved in the communities, at church, and you're doing your best life. Yeah. You're, you're not... Um, you're, you're not, uh, what's the word, still hard things will happen to you. So mm-hmm. and that's when cancer came into our life. And I remember after having that doctor come to me after exploratory surgery in the hospital and looking me in the eyes and just saying, I'm sorry, Jason, uh, your wife has stage four colon cancer. And um, again, there's no prep work. Um, mm. I remember back in when my wife was... Um, waking up, the doctor came back in and revisited what she had told us. And again, I just, I, I didn't know what to do with my emotions and feelings at that point. So the doctor left and I felt like I had some unresolved questions. So I ran after the doctor down the hall Mm. and I say, doctor, I need some answers. How long does she have to live? How do we pay for treatment? How are we going to do this, this, and this? I just peppered her. And, and, and the most profound advice comment that the doctor gave me, Monson, was, Jason, you'll be okay. Cancer has a way of enhancing your life. <laughs> huh. No way. So it's like, I, I don't want my life to be enhanced. <laughs> yeah. I want my life to go back to the way it was. And I don't yeah. want, I didn't sign up for this. I, I'm trying to live the best life possible, and this happens to me. Wow. And in a moment, and for a period of time, I was angry and mad at God and just saying, this isn't fair. Like, how could you do this to my family? And how could you do this to someone that is helping so many people? My wife is helping so many people in our neighborhood. And it just, it was so, it felt so unfair for God to to give this trial to our family. Totally. And, and it's something I had to work with and wrestle with because... Um. Uh, again, it just doesn't seem fair. Just because I'm living a good life <laughs> doesn't mean I'm exempt from challenges. Yeah. So it, it was hard. We were given two to three years to live, hmm. to fight through cancer. And again, we, we still continue to go to church and still do good things. And then after every um, treatment and every um, review, we just never got good news. Yeah. So, so for a long time, it just felt unfair. Mm. Like nothing was getting better and how could we do this? And, and then we begin to talk about, is this God's plan for us to not get good news and my wife to die from cancer? And um, some, some interesting conversations um, towards the end of my wife's life of talking about God's will for us and if, is this in God's plan? Yeah. So nine months later, we are saying goodbye to my wife at the funeral. So people are great at the funeral. They rally around you. They bring you things. But uh, the hard thing is, is when funerals are over, you, um, you find yourself at your house and try to pick up the pieces and nobody's around there to help. And uh, that's where the reality of life begin to sit, sink in really hard and where I had to figure out what I'm going to do because now I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I'm the hybrid parent. <laughs> I'm a therapist trying to help people have to work, have to take care of my kids. Mm. Oh no. How, what do I do? How do I feed the kids? How do I 
<laughs> how do I do all the basic stuff that now my my wife was not around? So for me, uh, I just remember finding myself um, in bed, just really sad, like struggling to get out of bed, and then thinking, like, how am I going to do this? And then there's a knock at the door with my little boy saying, Dad, can you get me something to eat? Mm. And I realize um, I got I to gotta at least show up for my kids. So I began to do hard things and lead into that resistance. And, and then I remember eight days after, eight or nine days after I, my wife passed away, after the funeral, my boss says, I need you back to work. <laughs> so That's the worst, how fast that happens. Yeah, it wasn't enough time. Not a chance. I was just like, put on a mask. I'm just going to just, just be, I'm just going to try to be tough and put mm. on this mask that I'm doing okay. And I went back to work and finding it's really hard to help people when you're going through the hardest thing of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did that for about nine months. And then finally I just said, I, I'm, I'm just exhausted. I'd get home. My son would say, daddy, look angry every day. And I'm just like, this is not fair for me and my boys. I got to do something. Mm. So I did a hard, hard thing that uh, I think for me as a male that doesn't show emotion did is I text 14 of people in uh, my friends, my family, my church group, and I just said, I need some help. Like, can you come to my house? Dang. So that night... I've just like threw out a Hail Mary, like, I hope someone shows up. Please, please. <laughs> At least my dad will show up, and mom, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, every person I text came, really? and I sat in my living room, and I began pouring out my heart and told them how hard life was, and I just <laughs> cried. And that was, that was um, empowering because I finally opened up. And uh, mm. I sat there, and I call this, Monson, I call this my healing team. Mm. And, and I gave people permission to help me. And up until that point, people want to help, but they don't know how to help unless you give them permission. Yeah. And even people will say, well, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And that's not the right thing to say. <laughs> mm. The right thing is to find a need, is to help people, Find a need like they need food or they need their lawn mode or they need their house clean. Go find a need and help them mm. or just sit in their emotions. And in this healing team, I, I began to get uh, get some of my happiness in life back. So I made a team captain in this healing team. The team captain was designated to, if I ever needed uh, a lot of help or I wasn't doing good, I would text them a code word, help. And this team captain would text my team, and my team had assignments to help me. Wow. So my family would, my parents would come and do my laundry. Someone would do the yard work. Yeah. Someone would take my kids. Someone would bring me over food. Someone would text me. My best friend would take me to lunch. Wow. And I knew if things got really hard and difficult, all I had to do was send one word. Yeah. I think we could all do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that empowered yeah. me, and I knew I had a team. And, and life began to get better that, uh, at that moment. Again, for me as a male, I took off my mask, I shared emotions, and together, uh, the opposite of grief is mm. connection. Yeah. And the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of depression, loneliness is connection. Mm. So the way we heal is we bring people in our circle, we invite them in so that they can help us through. Yeah. And, and they carried me through when I wasn't strong enough until I began to 
take back some of those responsibilities and I began to be able to feel like I'm a productive dad. Yeah. I, I kind of want to emphasize like, that's hard. That's hard to be open and vulnerable. And especially when you're like, you know, I'm a dad and I'm a man and I got to (laughs) take care of my house and this is my job. And, you know, I committed to this when I had these kids and, and, uh, for myself, I, I just throughout life doing a lot of going through a lot of challenges somewhat on my own. Mm-hmm. It's built almost like this callus of I have to handle it by myself. Exactly. Asking for help and looking for people to help is a very big challenge for uh-huh. myself and I assume at the time for yourself. Oh yeah. I oh, I mean 9 months by yourself uh-huh. of just coming home sad, angry, dealing with things at work having to take care of your kids and handle, you know, the yard work, the things that you don't even think about. Like, as you were talking, I was like, and you brought up somebody would do the yard work. I was like, oh, yeah, that's just another thing that you don't even comprehend. You're like, there's so many things that have to be done. And at the time, you're all alone. Yeah. And as a single parent, that's near impossible. Uh-huh. Um, and so, I don't know, That's it's just really cool. I guess for you, was it the night that you had everybody come to your house was that the night you were able to be like, it's okay for me to ask for help? Yeah. And well, it's okay for me to have people, or throughout the process, even texting someone the one word to get everybody on board with stuff. Was that hard? Is that hard? Or, or what's that experience like? Well, I, I, I knew that because I, was, I taught that. Hmm. But when you have to do it yourself, <laughs> that finally gave me permission that, yeah. okay, they're, they're kind of expecting me to reach out if I'm struggling. So that was that was helpful. It gave everybody permission to to help me, and that's when they came in and began to step up and began to jump in as needed, which was helpful, rather than me trying to communicate that or them knowing what to do. So that was a, that was a big turning point, mm-hmm. and from that point forward, I knew as hard as it gets, all I had to do was say one word. And my team could jump in and take over and take the the heaviness away until I felt strong enough to take back that responsibility, yeah. take back the laundry I could do for myself or or make meals. That's that's when things begin to turn and get better for me. So yeah. great, great pivotal point in my life and as well as my boys, mm. because I began to show up differently for them and uh, show I began to show up. Um, as a dad in the way I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you suggest that same process to people that you are coaching with now and, and helping in therapy? A hundred percent. So where I got this was <clears throat> when I was working in recovery, addiction recovery, we had people that be so isolated from the world and they didn't want to let anybody in. So we used to teach them how to create a recovery team. Yeah. Same concept, same process of inviting people in and tell them you need help and have people take over the the struggles when things are hard. So what I used to teach, I just taught my team how to help me. So Mm. and I think, like I said, like I said many times is the opposite of addiction, opposite of depression and grieving is connection. Yeah. So because think about. Um, think about this, Monson, like when you've gone through a hard time, it's like those are the times where you feel the loneliest yep. and yep. nobody knows you're suffering sometimes. So 
It's like inviting people in so they they can share that emotion. They can share that rocks of backpack that's just weighing you down Mm. and taking off some of that stress so that you don't have to take it all on. You can distribute it and they can help you walk that path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's unique because in the moments where things suck, you all you feel like you're loneliest and then as well you almost want to be lonely like you don't necessarily want to go look for help and so i guess what would you say for your own situation and then for others um if you desire but what uh, how do you get over the hump of like oh i'm having a bad day i just want to go home and be by myself versus it's actually probably healthier to go out and and talk to people or be with somebody what would you say or what was your advice to yourself and to others? I mean, it takes practice to invite mm. people in your circle. So, And you, you, a lot of people just don't want to go out and just tell everybody how hard your life is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that that's a hard process. Especially if you do it too much. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. <laughs> then you, then you're, wait, you're exhausting people and they, they're like, oh, no, here comes Jason. He's going to unload on me. And that's what I didn't want to do. But what I found is... Um, don't find a couple people that love and care about you. And regardless of what you share, they're there for you. So, mm-hmm. and that can come in many forms that can come in families that can come in a, a therapist that can come in like your church leader or a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say don't just get one because then you can, you can have a way of exhausting that person, Yeah. but find a couple people at the beginning and uh, you don't have to pour out your heart, but just share little, little bits of information and see, and take a step back and see how it feels after the conversation. Yeah. And uh, that's where you can identify it helps is how you feel. Mm. Um, it might not be life-changing, but just sit back and go, huh, that was hard, but man, I feel a little bit of relief. So that's where the, that's where I found <clears throat> people asking, it's like, how do you know you're getting better? Mm. And I always said, well, when, from from the first time I talked about my wife after the death, I was a wreck, crying emotionally, felt like I couldn't work for like a couple of days. Yeah. My emotional level was just so high. Now, today, my intensity of my emotions is decreased. Mm. And that's how I know I'm getting better. Because yeah. when I talk about the same instance, I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not emotionally um, uh, worn out or exhausted, and I can still go and do things. I can still laugh because I've done my work and I've talked through those emotions. Hundred mm. percent. I want to ask as well, just your perspective on, I guess along those same lines. But at, I remember at my mom's funeral, everybody pretty much said the exact same thing. And it was, I regret not doing A, B, and C, or I regret this or regret that. And I just remember for myself having a moment of just like, I want to live my life in a way where I no longer have to ever say again, like, I regret not doing A, B, and C in that moment. But I just did all that I could when I was there. Um, After your wife passed away with this grieving process and with your team by your side, did it take a long time for you to let go of regrets or did you never have regrets or was it like, I wish me and my wife could have done A, B, and C before? Um, how did you handle that side of your emotions? I think I, I think everybody has those, oh, we should have done this to some degree. 
Mm. But I didn't want that to define my our relationship, so I didn't dwell on them. And instead of dwelling on them and regretting that, I I turned that I turned impactful moments into ways of honoring them. Example is um, so. She passed away in June, and her birthday was in August. It's mm. actually August 23rd. It's next week. Oh, really? Wow. And um, I remember like, oh, no, her birthday's coming up. This is going to be hard. Mm. But rather than bracing for impact of those hard moments, what I did is I turned it into like a celebration of life. Yeah. And um, so what we did is we just took some of my fi- wife's favorite things that she did, Circus peanuts she ate, mm. uh, chocolate-covered gummy or cinnamon bears, chips and salsa. We watched Goonies. Wow. And we invited people in to that celebration, and we honored that person. Yeah. And we talked about them, and we cried. And so it was a way of leaning into the discomfort of those memories and anniversaries and, and, and growing through them. And that became such a important part because the following year when my wife's birthday was coming up, my kids are like, Hey, are we going to watch Goonies again? Are we going to do this? That they were excited to do it because it was a way of honoring them. And then instead of dwelling on the regrets, we were honoring them, and that was a way of giving back rather than not doing anything. Yeah. Because if we if we don't do anything, we think about it, it just builds momentum. Totally. So we need to do something to be able to work through those emotions. Yeah. And whether it's like either talking in therapy or doing like a celebration of life um, or these celebrations where you find their favorite things to do, those are the ways you're going to get through it, mm-hmm. and those are going to be the ways that you still build your guys' relationship, which hmm. is an interesting concept. Very, yeah, very. Is just because they're gone doesn't mean you can't build a relationship with them. And hmm. I, I strongly believe that. I had a, a powerful session with a client that said that to me, and I said, that's right. We can still put in the effort of the relationship to continue to build it. Yeah, 100%. But you got to put forth the effort. Totally, <laughs> totally, because if you're... Doing opposite and kind of weighing your mind only on regrets and things that you could have done. Uh-huh. I mean, you're going to age quickly, first off, <laughs> but it's it's not going to help. And so I guess for my audience, that's kind of, I guess, one of my biggest takeaways from my own experience and then hearing your experience is just taking those moments and, and making them a celebration. I think my dad, after my mom passed, did something similar where her birthday was also just like the next month. And so it was coming up quickly. And I think he went to um, her favorite Mexican restaurant and Mm -hmm. and did things like that, that just kind of take your mind away from like, oh, I wish we could have done this. But like life happens and yes, we can wish and yes, we can regret things. But rather than living in those wishes and regrets, let's do something to, I guess, cope with it. Mm and it sounds like that's done a lot for your kids. I, I didn't ask as well, how old were your kids when she passed? Um, I think about this, five and 11. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, they were little guys. Yeah, that's tough. So, Yeah, especially, I mean, on both, obviously, but especially I just assume on an 11-year-old, that's tough. That's 
when I was 11, I like to think I was pretty competent, <laughs> but being able to, to kind of fully understand it, that's hard. Um, how did you as a parent, aside from, I guess, doing these simple things and having your own team, how did you as a parent handle your children or what was your next steps other than, I know you said you obviously got to get up, make dinner, you become dad and mom, but to help them as young as they are understand the magnitude and then as well the direction that your family was going to head, how did you help them to do that? Yeah, yeah. I remember coming home and I, again, this was me trying to be the best dad possible. And my son looks at me a couple times and says, dad, you come home angry. Yeah. And I said, I got to, I got to fix this. And I didn't want to find myself years down the road doing the therapy because I was afraid to do any work. Mm. So what I did for the boys is, um, I knew we were operating on sad and not and and sad and grieving memories, lonely memories. Yeah, and that wasn't sustaining. It was when we when people go through a traumatic event, your brain like takes a snapshot. <laughs> yeah, and then when you feel emotions or you see something that reminds that 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 snapshot comes up and you relive mm. those experiences. Mm. So I, that's what that's how our life was, and it's like oh, we can't get happy. So I made a hard decision where after my healing team, I ended actually quitting my job because mm. I knew I needed to, re, uh, in a, I don't want to call it rebrand, <laughs> I needed <laughs> to create some happy memories for me and my kids. I need to bring us together. So I quit my job, and I took the summer off, and I sat down at the kitchen table, and I said, boys, dad has the, day, uh, the summer off. I quit my job. We're going to make a, a bucket list. And we, we wrote awesome. out this bucket list of things that we wanted to do as a family mm. and start connecting together, start being happier, and connecting with people um, that have meant so much in our life and can help them grieve as well. Yeah. And it just became a way of life. Like we did uh, um, hydro dipping. Have you ever done hydro dipping? Is that... It sounds familiar, but I don't think so. Don't so think you get so. water, and then you spray paint on top of the water, and then you dip items into the water. Oh, and it almost like tattoos on uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay, I've seen it. On I mean, that was something we did with uh, some people down in Provo. Yeah. We went horseback riding. We did the lemonade stand. We we went on a, a private airplane. So these are some things that hmm. we got our community and, uh, and our connections to be a part of this. But, man, the way that we began to enjoy life was so much different. Yeah. And now, instead of dwelling on the negative of the past and my wife getting cancer, mm. it's more or less more the recent events have created some really good happiness emo- emotions yeah. where that's where we find our happiness all the time. Yeah. And it's sustainable. Mm. <laughs> like when we get down, we're like, oh, remember when we did this? And my boys are happy again. Mm. And uh, it kind of helps us boost us up when things are hard or difficult. But that doesn't excuse us from having emotions come up. And like next Tuesday's my wife's birthday. It's it, it'll be sad and we'll cry, but we will know that we've making we're, we've made hard decisions and good decisions to keep her alive in our life. Yeah, and continue to build that relationship because of what we've done. Yeah, 100%. yeah. So my boys today are there. I mean, last year my oldest. 
I'm so proud of him. And all in ninth grade, he got straight A's. My boy, let's go. And then behaviorally, my other boy was struggling behaviorally. And uh, he got a certificate that says most improved kid. So mm. I'm like, okay, we're doing something right yeah. <laughs> to see improvements. And that makes me happy because they are their lights coming on and their lights staying on for periods of time. Wow, that is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's probably really cool as well. I guess for me, it's really cool to see the decision to quit your job. That's hard. That's scary. (laughs) Yeah. so intense. (laughs) Um, But it's just really cool to see. I mean, every single time uh, throughout our lives, we are taught to obviously pursue the best career that we can get. And our goal in life is like, we're like, hey, as much as I know money is not the most important thing, like I want to get as much as I can to provide for A, B, and C. And so it's always a focus on your life, but it's really cool to see the way that you taking a step back away from work because you realized, okay, I'm not being the best parent I can because of work right now. Mm -hmm. And if I am, you know, able to take a step back, which most people of course are going to understand the next time you interview for a job, they're not going to be like, wow, you took a month away because your, your wife passed away. Like they'll get that, you know? But just the willingness to take a step back, make those new memories for your kids, it sounds like, you know, with your kids getting straight A's and their behavior stepping up, those actions that you took, even though they were scary and even though they were probably a little bit nerve-wracking, they then benefited your kids in the future. 100%. Wow. Yeah. And and I think when you go through these, I think you know this, Monson, mm-hmm. talking to you is like, Sometimes you have to take a step into the darkness and you don't know where you're going. And it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, trust <laughs> trusting the process that it'll work out. Yeah. And I had people just go, what are you doing? You're, you can't quit your job. I'm like, I love my my boys and mm. my boys need me. And I just, that's what I did. That's yeah. what I knew I had to do. Wow. And now, I mean, you're able to see, I guess, the benefits of it, which is really cool. Even though in the moment, I'm sure the benefits were, (laughs) you're like, I don't know if there's going to be benefits. All I know is that I have a family to take care of and and I'm going to do the things necessary for my own mental health and then as well for for themselves. Yep. Dang, and that's that's tough. That's obviously not like an open suggestion for everybody who just has a hard day, don't quit your job. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Obviously different circumstances, but still that's really, really challenging to be able to do. Um, and so I guess building off of that, kids start to improve, and now you guys seem to have a much better system. Um, wife's birthday coming up, and so you guys kind of already know what to expect, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you've been through it, and so you've been practicing these things. Um, it's really cool to me what then proceeds after this, if I can jump ahead a little bit or yeah. whatever whatever you think, whatever yeah. you think. But I, I guess from there, Jason then began this small company – um, <laughs> called Giving Sunshine. And the purpose of it, from what I understand, is to help people that go through traumatic experiences, mm-hmm. um, help them through their grieving process so they don't have to do it alone. Yeah. And so ultimately, your system of the people that you had helping you, you're now being the provider of that for other people. Yeah. Um, I guess from, those, from where we are at with your kids and, and their improvements and you guys kind of getting things down into Giving Sunshine, how did that come to be? So I stepped away from my job. And I made the bucket list on there was create a lemonade stand. Mm. And what we wanted to do is give back to people that have helped us. So we wanted to raise money and make a yellow sunshine bucket that we could deliver to two people mm. that lost someone or going through cancer. That that was our whole goal. 
Yeah. We're just like, let's make $100. That's a lot for a lemonade stand. <laughs> totally, totally. And uh, oh, rewind just a hair is when my wife was going through treatment, someone brought us a bucket. Oh, really? And it made us really happy. Wow. And I remember a snapshot in my head saying, I want to recreate that. Mm. So when the lemonade stand got done, we made $1,500. Wow. <laughs> lemonade. Yep. <laughs> COVID friendly. <laughs> That's exciting. And uh, we're like, okay, what do we do? So I, I we put together 50, uh, 25 of these sunshine buckets. Mm. And then I threw it out on Facebook and I just said, has anybody lost someone to cancer? Has anybody had this traumatic event? Has anybody th- gone through a hard time? And people know people. Yeah. Once you throw it out there, then people begin to reach us out and we may begin to make uh, appointments where we'd go deliver to these families with my boys. And it mm. became so healing because we weren't focused on our pain inside. We were focused on helping others. And that was so healing for us to walk them through the process, to cry with them, to have my boys put their arm around them and just kind of help wow. them. Yeah. And it just became a way of life where we had to reteach ourselves how to live our lives. So when we'd go into stores, we'd look for yellow things because mm. that's what went in the baskets. And for a while, my boys would go, hey, we need that for the baskets. We need that. And I, th- I learned quickly that that taught them how to look for positive and happy things. Mm. So we're teaching them a skill. Yeah, automatically they're noticing those uh-huh, things. Wow. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's called selective awareness in in psychology. Hmm. So they begin to look for happier things. So instead of where you lose someone and you go through a traumatic event, you you just stay stuck. And that taught them how to not be stuck anymore. And so we begin to deliver these buckets and deliver them. And then... I remember someone reached out on Facebook and says, hey, I want a, I want a bucket. And I was like, how am I going to deliver one to Virginia? Oh, yeah. Wow. So we designed one, a box, and we filled it up, and we shipped it out to Virginia. And yeah. the lady was just thrilled to have one. And then wow. people begin to reach out left and right, and we begin to send them all across the country. Yeah. And uh, to this day, we're in 45 states mm. with sunshine boxes. No way. That's a lot. We have five more to go. Dang. Which ones are they? Uh, I need to pull out my list. It's kind of the, it's like Vermont. It's, it's like Rhode Island. It's uh, South Dakota. I th- those there's, only, are, there's only cows out there. So they're, 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 they're unique, but that's, that's my goal is I want to, yeah. I want to deliver those to the 50 people and, and then People requested them in other countries. So we have one in Canada, one in UK, one in Australia. Wow. That's so, awesome. And, and what happened was I looked at the bas- the boxes and they brought happiness and joy. But I, I was like, I wanted to provide more for them than just a happy day. Yeah. So I took my 15 years of clinical experience mm-hmm. and then my partner that has helped me with the business and healing and we created tools to be able to help people uh, long term. Mm. <laughs> so that's what's in the boxes now is tools to help people grieve, people to help through diagnosis of cancer, mental health and illness, just to mm. help them get them out of that stuck spot and help them connect with 
people in their life so that they can get happier. Yeah. Cause I didn't want, I didn't want people to go through what I went through. Mm. So we created this box so we can, you can buy one for yourself. You can deliver it to someone. You can sponsor someone, but it just, it warms my heart when people say this box really helped out. So, and now we're just on a mission of helping people. Yeah. So it just, what turned into a tragedy is turning into a way of life to be able to help us out. Wow. So. And a kind of <laughs> full circle back to what the doctor had initially said. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> that Dr. Wise guy. Which was? He, he said. Cancer has. Cancer has a way of enhancing your life. Yeah. Boom. And then you, you just look at this and. Mm. I mean, we can get to more, but it's just like, oh, my God. Okay, I get it. Wow. I get why I had to go through this. Wow. Yeah. I get I had to connect with people. I had to share my story. I I had to go through all this pain in order to be able to help people. Yeah. So. And that's like... Well, there's just so many parallels you start to see. And and what I'm seeing right now, it's kind of getting me giddy. Um, Just thinking of all of the years of experience that you have in the field that you do uh-huh. um, within psychology and within therapy, within helping these people out, how that applies to your direct situation and then how it applies, of course, to Giving Sunshine and the boxes that you guys are sending out. And it's just amazing to see. I obviously, you know, because I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that living a service-oriented life is is a part of what everybody should do, but there's also, you know, thousands of tests and studies that show how serving others benefits you more than that benefits them, really. Yeah. Um, and so just living a service-oriented life is a part of life, and so I believe firmly that no matter what circumstances that we go through, we will never go through anything that we can't handle. And just seeing now your situation at one point, you obviously felt as if you couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. But then as time goes on and as months goes by, as you start applying these principles, you're then looking back and seeing, wow, this actually makes a lot of sense why it happened. Yeah. And thank the man above, thank the universe, whatever you believe in. I, I am so grateful that I had experience in therapy. I'm so grateful that I've had experience with cancer because now I have the ability to help other people. It's just so cool to see that, you know, God really provides a way for you to be able to take any experience you go through and make something of it rather than just being left alone. And I think that's one of the biggest messages. Of course, there's a lot of listeners that we have that, you know, believe in God. And then there's a couple of people that that don't believe in God. Mm -hmm. And so I guess just ultimate message to everybody is I 100% believe, and you can obviously attest to this, that there's no situation in life that we go through that we can't overcome that we don't have any resources, and we will never be left alone. And I think people, as you know from Giving Sunshine, people feel like that. Mm -hmm. And people are caught up thinking that they can't get through it, and, you know, it causes depression, and it causes sadness, and it causes suicide, and it causes these awful things. And so what you're doing with Giving Sunshine and what hopefully we're doing here with the Life Must Go On podcast is teaching people through awesome experiences like yourself that there are ways that we can overcome things and then once we do we'll be able to look back and realize you know the parallels and why it happened and and what we're then able to make from it yeah i think a friend of mine years ago said 
instead of saying, why is this happening to me? God, why are you doing this? Mm. I think I was there and I, I got stuck just asking God, why am I going through this? And then I had to shift the way I was thinking and saying, what what can I learn this or what am I supposed to learn from mm. this? And that began to shift the way I looked at things. And I began to understand and be more open to what God was trying to teach me mm. rather than just say, what the, yeah. what's going on? Like, yeah. seriously, yeah. how could you do this? So I just barely heard a quote last week, in fact, that was, it said, I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I won't be able to remember it perfectly. But it was like, I found that dwelling on the whys in life ends up being a complete waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's, you know, just so awful to ask why or to actually genuinely question, you know, what's what's the purpose of this? But I think rather than just why in a self-pity form, if we're able to form that question like you're saying to what can I do? Mm-hmm. The why will always be answered if we ask the what. That's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Because when I ask the what in my situations, just as you're saying right now, you're giving back to these people and it goes full circle to what that doctor said and you're like, holy crap, my life is being enhanced. That's the why. Is My life is being enhanced and now I'm in a position to be able to enhance other people's lives through my experience. Um, and so if you would have been stuck on the whys or like we mentioned before, the regrets or the wish I could have, then all these parallels that you're now seeing, they wouldn't have come to pass. 100%. So I think today I am grateful for my trial. Mm. That's probably weird to say. Oh, yeah. Or here to when say. you first hear it, you're like, what? <laughs> like, I'm grateful because, because of what I've learned and who I've become through my trial. Mm. And it's taken years of learning and growing, but I can look back and just be like, I'm such a better person. I have such great relationships with some amazing people. Mm. I've had so many amazing experiences and it wouldn't happen if I wasn't able to kind of lean in that discomfort and do some of those hard things, (laughs) step into the darkness to allow you to grow. Dang, that's awesome. Um, I want to backtrack one last thing. Um, and then we'll wrap up shortly after. But I want to backtrack just a little bit to I remember when it had all happened. It's it's cool to me hearing you say, like, how much better of a person you feel like you've uh-huh. become. Um, when we backtrack to when your wife was diagnosed and then leading up to the months until she passed, I remember you saying we were living a good life and we were good people. We went to our church meetings. We were trying our best to be Christ-like. Um Obviously, nobody's perfect, but you were living a good life, and you were raising good kids. It's just cool to me to see that because of a challenge, you're now saying, I feel like I'm a better person now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How would you, in your own words, if you can sum that up, how would you sum up that difference? What made that change within the trial? What made that change for me to become better? Yeah. That's a that's a great question. You're stun, <laughs> you're stunning the therapist here. <laughs> These are the questions I ask. It's either clients. a great question or kind of a poorly worded question. <laughs> I, I I mean, I don't think there's one pivotal moment. It's just a progression of events mm. that you stop and pause and like, oh, 
life is getting better. I'm not as angry and upset. So it's it's like a progression thing. Yeah. But I think quieting the noise when life gets so busy, quieting the noise and sitting and being like being reflective about how you're feeling and what's taking place that allows you to see the growth happening. Hmm. Cause it's, I mean, I'm the hybrid dad trying to do, do it all and try to work. And it doesn't allow times to just sit there and allow God to speak to you or personal revelation to just speak to your heart and let you know what's happening and taking place. Right. So for me, I had to quiet the noise and just listen and, and, write things down, and then they they were made aware to me through whether it be inspiration or prayer or even writing things down. Mm. And then I'm like, what? I said that? Or, oh, my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> it surprises you. You're like, well, I, I really said that? <laughs> so, but it's a progression thing that allows you to, to, to grow. And, again... I think for many of us that go that for that event is we get used to just leaning into where we're comfortable, just just leaning into the discomfort, but then we just keep going that same spot every time and we stay stuck. We don't want to push a little bit harder where it's a little bit uncomfortable, yeah. and that's where the growth comes. Not just doing what you're used to doing, but push a little bit harder so you can get, build up a tolerance so you can get better and happier. Hmm. That's awesome. So, very good answer. That ultimately, <clears throat> it's a trend. Whenever I ask a question similar to that, where there's never a one moment. We like to have people kind of have their life must go on moment, but pretty much every question or every person that has answered that similar question, it is a progression of events. Uh-huh. And I think if I could even try my best to sum that question up with my own experiences and then with your own. I would just say and teach everybody to nail this into their brain, but knowing that the best to overcome challenges and to become the best version of yourself, it will never happen in an instant. You will never have these crazy experiences. I think a lot of people think of like if you're reading the Bible and you hear the story of like the Apostle Paul and his change, it seemed almost instant. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you if you look back at Paul's life, there was moments that led up to that moment. Mm-hmm. And although that moment was big, the next steps were just as important. Um, it wasn't like one night you woke up and you were just like, I got it all under control. <laughs> but it was, you handled it. And so ultimately, people, your life must go on moment is not one huge dramatic experience, but it is small, significant experiences that lead up to something or that have led after something. Yeah. Um, that is awesome. That's really cool. Well, I think it goes also to my store. It's like you got to keep doing the work. Mm. And the work allows you to become happier and healthier. But if you don't do the work, then it's hard for God to bless bless you what you're doing. Yeah. And I I will attribute to me doing the work and leaning into that and eventually I think I've told you months and it's I've led it's led me to find find and remarry again yeah yeah to to my sweetheart that she also lost her spouse to cancer really yeah wow so we were both doing our work mm-hmm. working on ourselves that put ourselves in a spot where we could connect and 
start learning from each other. Mm. And the amazing part about that is we understand what each other has been through and we can help each other and we don't shy away from talking about our spouses. Yeah. They're still a part of our life. Wow. And a part of our growth, so we talk about them openly and honestly and ask questions that allows us to grow together. Totally. And then it allows us to help other people and heal. Wow. So I I don't think God is done once you're over a trial. Mm. <laughs> it's <laughs> like you you reach there and then he allows things to come into your life and grow and change and allow more of the process and help you become the person you're meant to be. Yeah. So Wow. That's a really deep form of love. <laughs> Imagine. Um, well, that's incredible. I I would love I would love to ask you more about that situation, but we're coming up on time, um, so we'll just talk about that personally. And these fans, unfortunately, you guys can listen. I'll give you a, a rundown another day. Um, but I I guess if I could sum everything up today. Well, the past couple of days, considering our technical difficulties. <laughs> um, for all of those who don't know, this is actually our third time attempting to record yeah. <laughs> because we had some issues. Um, but uh, I guess if I could sum everything up today, I would sum up acknowledging the emotions that you're feeling, mm-hmm. understanding where you're at, having a support group or people that can help you um, feel your emotions, and help take care of your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, making a game plan to give back to others. And I think that those three steps, if you are to take those, um, just from what I've seen and written down, those three steps kind of are what got you over and what I think, not a one-size-fits-all, but kind of a one-size-fits-all, if you do those three steps, you will be able to overcome any challenge far better than you could on your own or, or doing it some other way, mm. 100%. And so, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And enduring through some technical <laughs> issues and all that stuff. Um, I appreciate it very much. And our fans are really going to enjoy this this episode. I really enjoy this episode. So thank you. And uh, if anybody needs, Jason's the man. He'll get you one of those boxes, and we'll help you out. Um, I got a lot of, lot of listeners with a lot of problems. So I'll send them your way. <laughs> cool. Happy <laughs> not, to help them. Not bad problems. Not like, you know, they're not like, you know what I mean? Weird, but problems, <laughs> issues, difficulties. Um, all right, that should be it. Jason, you have anything else? No. Okay. Thank Prime you for time. having me, and it's a pleasure. Hey, it better be. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. We will see you next time, next week. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs>